you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1, we're going to be in there for about two verses, and then we're moving our way into chapter 2, and I know you're excited about that. And so, um, as you're turning there, let me, let me just kind of give you where we're headed this morning. We're going to overlap a bit. Uh, if you're like, hey, weren't we in the end of chapter 1 last week? We are. We're going to overlap that just a little bit. Uh, to help kind of set up a summary. Uh, and then we're going to move through the 13, first 13 verses in chapter 2. And, uh, and let me just say, every, every time we gather uh, and we open up the Word, my, my prayer is that as we open up the Word, we would be stretched by it. Uh, that we would uh, be thinking through it, that we would be asking ourselves, how does this apply uh, in my life? Because you will never find a place in the Word that you say, that doesn't apply to me. Uh, that I am somehow other than. Uh, because, and so, so what we want to do is we very honestly walk through some verses and say, okay, uh, as, as we are being stretched by them, how does this play into the everyday movements of our lives? And, 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 and so James speaks to us in a way that uh, it's really unfair for, for you and for me because he speaks in a way that it's hard to ignore what he's just said. Uh, we can't hide behind, well, that isn't, makes sense theologically or spiritually. He comes in very basic and he says, hey, there are um, some things that God is telling us to do that you're not doing. Uh, and then there are some things that God is telling us to stop doing that you are doing. Uh, and, and it's really difficult to come in and say, well, okay, um, I would rather not do it that way and us still be able to walk in step with, with God. And, and what happens is it creates a lot of weight on us. And what I mean by that is... is uh, as we walk through this book, God is saying that it is possible. Uh, in fact, it's, it's probable uh, that uh, there are those who are in the church who can talk about Jesus, maybe even raise their hand in worship, or if you're less bold, maybe like this, you know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where you fall in the mix, you know. Sometimes you're like, oh, I'm really loving Jesus today, and I'm halfway. Uh, and so, um, but, but it's entirely possible to be doing that, and... Um, in that, that you've, we've learned how to talk like church folk, we've learned to uh, walk like church folk, and, and what James will come up and kind of slam us with at times is saying that it's entirely possible to look like a Christian while not being one at all. Uh, it's entirely possible to believe that. And so, although we, we may attend church, you might be deceived, not by the enemy, but by yourself. Uh, and, and so I, I knew when we were... Uh, that we are getting into that as we open into the uh, the letter of James. And uh, and I knew that there was going to be a razor's edge that we'd try to walk as the Word of God bears weight on us. That, that there's some here who are young believers. And uh, and when I say immature believers, it's, it's not because um, we're trying to take a shot at you. We're just saying that you lack maturity um, based on the, the length of time you've spent walking with God. And... And I think uh, what, what I don't want to do is bring up verses and passages that uh, snuff out the wick of your flame for Jesus. Uh, I don't want to hand you uh, a hundred pound dumbbell and say, hey kid, go lift that. Uh, and so, but at the same time, uh, I, I, I'm painfully aware that there are some in this room uh, who come to church on the weekend, uh, who consider yourself a moral person, and, and yet... Uh, you are either not a Christian at all or you are one in slumber, uh, which I think is entirely possible too. Uh, that I am a Christian, but I'm just asleep. 
And, and so you may have recited a prayer uh, as you were growing up. You may have uh, ended up at, um, at a summer camp or, or an altar call and somebody came up and they said, hey, when you die, would you like to go to heaven and your parents will be there and your friends will be there and all the dogs go to heaven. So do you want to go hang out with them? Or um, would you like to spend eternity in hell? Uh, and you're like, uh, that first option sounded a lot better. Let's go that route. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, but the fruit of your life can tell a completely different story. And so, and so this is in line, uh, this is the line we're trying to walk. I want to encourage us to trust the progress, not f- perfection, all right? But at the same time, I want us to be very aware asking ourselves some really important questions about the development of our faith, the fruits of our lives. Where do we fall? What is, what is God telling us to do? And James uh, told us something last week that was really helpful in this process. He says, look in the mirror. He says, look at your reflection in the mirror and ask yourselves, am I producing fruit that walks in step with what Jesus is doing in my life? Um, or am I deceiving myself? Am I walking away from that mirror and I have no idea what my life looks like. And, and so these are, these are the kind of the tensions that we feel this morning. And, and, and now, here's the thing. I, I feel much more concerned um, the fact that I am judged by God uh, regarding how I teach you um, more than you enjoying what we talk about on a Sunday morning. Because uh, you might ask yourself, might think to yourself, well, I could probably go somewhere and it could be more fun. Uh, or like we like to say in our house, funnerer, uh, because it's not even a word, but we like to say it because it sounds fun. Um, and, and my concern here is less of our entertainment and more of our development. Uh, and so when we walk through these places and, and as we begin to understand in deeper ways uh, just how crazy God is about us, uh, that God loves us, He truly loves us. And when He says, don't do these certain things, it's not because he's trying to keep us from freedom, but rather he's trying to walk us into a better freedom. Or when he says, hey, you do need to begin doing these things into your life, uh, it's not to remove joy from your life. It's actually to lead you into joy. Uh, that's where we arrive this morning as we approach these verses in, in James chapter 1 and 2. Um, and so these texts, they, they are important for us. And so uh, let's pray and then let's get going. Father, we come to you. And we thank you so very much for your willingness to walk into our lives and to speak your truth into our hearts so that we can walk in the healthiest ways possible. And we pray this morning as you uh, speak to us through these verses that we be very mindful of your love for us and what you have done to secure us in your Son, that we would rest knowing that in Him all of our needs are met. We thank You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, Alan, you ready to go? We're going to jump in. uh, Chapter 1, verse 26. This is what it says. If anyone, okay, you'll remember this, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his what? Tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is what? Worthless. Okay, so we're talking about religious. Now, not, not meaning cold, dead orthodoxy, but rather uh, religion as in genuine faith. 
Uh, how is my faith in Jesus playing itself out in the everyday parts of my life? And, and the hill that James is trying to climb here is this, that uh, he's encouraging us not to be deceived, but to evaluate like a mirror whether or not our faith is, is genuine. So he says this in verse 27. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, okay? To visit orphans in window, uh, windows, uh, to visit windows, you know, uh, in their affliction. It actually says widows. Uh, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, uh, affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so now here, here's, here's what we're looking at in... at in chapter 1, it talks about us walking in the law of love, uh, in, in the law of, of liberty, and, uh, and this is what Jesus demands of his followers. He doesn't suggest it to them. Uh, he demands it. Now, uh, we may not like to think of Jesus that way. Uh, we might not like to think of Jesus demanding really anything from our lives, but yet when you read the Bible, he most definitely does uh, one of the things that he, uh, we might think of a Jesus that, you know, is kind of like a fairy wings and he sprinkles dust on you and everything's just all nice and easy and comfortable. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible because there's parts of his life he says, hey, I demand you to live this way. And when you choose not to live this way, at least we both know what's going on here. Because there are things that he will talk about uh, that... Uh, Say things like, like, hey, you're to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Uh, he will say things like, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. That everything that Jesus is doing in your life is about you giving all of you because He gave all of Himself. And so He invades into your life and He says, hey, there are certain things you want to do. And we're going to talk about the royal law today, which is simply this, that you would love God with everything and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And God, Jesus commands this out of our lives. And, and I think it's interesting that James would bring up widows uh, and orphans. Uh, because as you read the Bible, there are three distinct people groups that, uh, that the Bible says the church should be involved with. Um, that, that it would be the widows, the orphans, and the homeless. Uh, that they would have a role to play in those three distinct groups of people. And, and I think part of this is, is God declaring His love to the world by telling us uh, to look for the people that we are tempted to be blind to because of our own desire for comfort. Um, because isn't, if, if we can be honest, can we, can we be honest in this side of the room? Y'all cannot be honest, but... Can, can we be honest that, that there are people that you see that you immediately try to take your eyes off of because what they're going through is a little bit uncomfortable for you? And the Word of God comes in and says, Consist now y'all can be honest, okay? Um, y'all can just lie to yourself. I don't, I don't mind. Um, but the Word of God consistently says, hey, those people that you are trying to be blinded to, I am putting in your path. I have equipped you to serve them for the glory of my name. And so, so he takes us to these places that you say, either it's painful to see it or I just don't want to be involved in it. And, and where James tells us to visit the orphan and the widow, we need to ask ourselves a really important question because where does he tell us to visit them? 
in their, what's that word? Affliction. In the mess. In the hardness. In the place you're like, no, no, no. I don't even want to look at them because it's uncomfortable for me. I want to see them from a distance and I want to say a prayer that, that's like a Hail Mary prayer. I want to say, oh, I'll, I'll be, be fed and be gone, you know. I want to do that. But that's not what the Word says, is it? It says that you would visit them in their affliction. Meaning that God rescues you in Jesus to put you into the messes of other people's lives. And that's what we find community looks like. And we're going we're to talk about this morning when that isn't at play. And when our hearts aren't in the right place about serving these people that we would rather be blinded to. And so, in fact, Tim Keller, he weighs in on, on why this is such a big deal uh, when you fail to love your neighbor, especially the poor and the vulnerable. And he, he, he puts this in a, it's a great book called The Gospel in Life. Um, and he says this, A merely religious person who believes God will favor him because of his morality and respectability will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. I worked hard to get where I am, and so can anyone else. That's the language of the moralist heart. I am only where I am by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God. I am completely equal with other people. That's the language of the Christian's heart. A sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the needy is the inevitable sign of a person who has grasped the doctrine of God's grace. That this would be playing itself out. And James will say, uh, do, do you want to see if you've grasped grace? Um, do you want to see who understands mercy and the salvation of God? He says, look to those who care for those who are needy around them. Look for their hearts, not just, not just apathy, because that's the dangerous part of suburbanite churches. We can feel sorry for someone, or we can be part of serving them when life gets hard. And those are two different things. You know that, right? Can we agree that those are two different... This side gets it. This side will catch up. I'll, I'll teach better over here in a minute. All right? So this is... This is what's at play. Matt Chandler, he says this, and I thought it was great, and basically we're ripping him off again this week. Um, He says this, To be blind and unmoved and static towards the needy and broken is to be made visible in your heart a failure to understand what the gospel message actually is. Alright? To be blind and unmoved and static towards the needy and broken is to be made visible in your heart a failure to understand what the gospel message actually is is. And James is going to deal with this in a couple chapters, that, that we, are, uh, we are not saved through our works. Um, we are saved by grace through faith alone, but, but those who are saved will see the world differently, and their works will look differently. And so, we're not perfect, but we're making progress. Uh, and where there is no progress, there should be some really honest questions. And again, it, it would be unloving uh, for me to encourage you to keep walking in deception. And so, so we ask about our footsteps. We ask about our motivations here. And this is going to take us uh, into applying what James has said about visiting these people, walking into these, the lives of these people. Uh, it's going to take us into chapter 2 where we talk about partiality. Uh, when it talks about playing favorites with people. Uh, and, and so, which is the next part of this book. And so, so let's talk about what we're going to do. We're going to read 
13 verses, okay? Uh, and we're going to come back and unpack it. But as we're reading these initial 13 verses, here's what I want you to do. Uh, uh, our outline will simply be this. We want to identify the what, the what's being told uh, to do. Uh, and we want to identify the why. Why are we being told to do it? And then we want to see uh, the, an invitation from God to walk in a better way. All right, that's kind of the method. And if you can figure it all out, um, just bring your test up here. I'll check it off. You can go home early today. All right, so here's what we got. Nobody will do it, I'm telling you. Uh, and you're all wrong because we'll find out. All right, so here we go. My brothers, all right? So who's James talking to? He's talking to brothers in Christ. Yeah, he says this, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring, he's going to give us an illustration here. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or hey, sit down at my feet. Anybody done that at church before? That would be awkward, right? Hey, have a seat right here. Um... Have you not, verse 4, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? But you, verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich and are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blasphemy and uh, the honorable name by which you were called by the name of Jesus? Are these not the ones who are blaspheming that name? Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails on one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So, verse 12, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to, the, to one who has shown no mercy. And then he says this, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if we're just trying to make this really simple point at the end, that mercy will always be a better option than judgment. Okay? Now, I get, I get you got wounds. I get you got scars. I get you got justifications, but this is what we find, that mercy will always triumph over judgment. So it's always a better option. It's always, now it might not be an easier option, but it's always the better option. So let's, let's talk about the what, because that's, this is pretty easy, because it, if you have context clues, right, you got it. Um, so it says, verse 2, uh, um, sorry, verse 1, my brothers show no partiality as you hold on to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So, so the what is what? Don't show partiality. Don't show it. Don't, don't play favorites. According to this text, those favorites are, are kind of predicated upon the outward appearance of a man 
or a woman. And so, so now if we, if we speak about it in this way, the text really isn't talking about so much favoritism as it is discrimination. Saying, uh, so, so the what is this? Don't withhold or don't give glory, love, affection, hospitality, mercy, kindness, service to people based on their external appearances. She says, don't do it. And this is, this is part of the what here we must fight against. And it's, it's the pool of our hearts to be around those who are more like us. Because if we're, if we're, if we're honest, don't we drift towards, don't we find that there's, there's a group of people that it's just easier to do life with? And don't those people look a lot like you? And, and then there's a group of people that is much more difficult to get it right in your mind. And it's easier to avoid spending time with those people. And now you're saying, uh, I, can, or I can tell in your eyes, you know, you're like, oh, that person. I know what you're talking about. So, so if you're wealthy, you tend to drift towards people of wealth. If you're, if you're not wealthy, you tend to drift towards um, people in the same circles as you. And the Bible is saying this warning that's going to have an invitation attached to you, the Bible is saying don't do it. Saying don't, don't play favors based on that. Don't assign value based on that. And I think the big danger and the bigger temptation is to not assign value based on those external uh, factors. That, that the church, our church, should be my, more diverse than it actually is. Okay? If we can be honest together. Our, this place should be much more diverse than it is. But yet, what we're dealing with, James is talking about. That we assign value on people. We, we invest more in people's lives based on how comfortable our relationship with them is. And he says, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. That, that the, the reason it, it isn't is because we lean heavily on this, this dysfunction. And, and understand, when, when God says don't do this, uh, He's inviting us into something better, which leads us to the why. So, so the what is don't play favorites, right? Uh, don't assign more value on people based on how they look or what they do, right? So don't play those favorites. And He says, here's the why, that when you play favorites, what you are doing... Um, uh, let's just read verse 4 first. Uh, have you not made distinctions? Uh, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Right? Listen, guys, I, I love you. I want you to know this. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? And so, so, so the what, we don't play favorites. The why, He says, when you do it, you dishonor God. And you reveal you don't understand the gospel. That by playing favorites, you dishonor God. And now this might sound harsh, and it might sound like an overstatement, but I don't, I don't think it is. I've come back to this multiple times this week, and I'm like, is that, is that too hard? Is that too mean? And it, it's not. This is what James is telling us. You dishonor God when you choose to, to play that way, and you're forgetting something about the grace of God. That, that God assembles misfits in the eyes of the world 
to put his glory on display. He does that, and that's the beauty. He takes, he takes my brokenness, and he heals me. He takes your scars, and he redeems you. He takes our lives, and he gives them purpose. And, and if, if, if he was after, it's going to come out hard to some of you. Okay? If he was after the best, smartest, most attractive, most talented, and the wealthiest, we are all out of luck. All right? Just look around the room. We didn't make the cut. We didn't. Especially that guy who just walked in. You didn't make the cut, bro. All right? And see? And he's like, yeah, that's about right. So if our expectation is that, right? If our expectation is that that's what God is looking for and he is sure is lucky to found me, Right? We've completely ignored what He has done for you and the enormous price He has paid for you. So it's not us. So, so, so why then, and this is what James would kind of bring to the table, why then are we so determined to surround ourselves with people who make the picture look like a Tommy Hilfiger ad? That makes the family picture of the church much more pleasurable. And we put, you know... Guys like me in the very far back where you can just kind of see his hand. Why do we work so hard to do that? He says this is a problem. And James will say, and I love how honest he is about this, James will say you do this because your evil thoughts are pervasive in your life. He says it's evilness. It's sinfulness. And it has to be put to death. This is why Paul reminds us in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read it to you. Starting in verse 26. For, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose the fool right here to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Right? That's the way it plays us out. So, so when you show partiality, when you, when you play favorites, what you are doing is you dishonor God because you are stepping out from under His grace. You're stepping aside from it, and you're applying your own little version of mini-God and you're, you're assigning value to things that should not be assigned. And, it, and James will say it's, it's, it's anti-gospel. It's dangerous. And so, so it's outside of how God saves. It's outside of how God works. It's outside of the mercy that you've been shown. And God has enormous promises for the poor. Enormous promises. Better promises than the world could ever give both those who are poor in spirit and those who are living in poverty. God has great promises for them. And so, so, so from, from there, James really begins to lean on them. Uh, and we're still on the why. Uh, he said, the what's don't show partiality. The why is because we offend God, but not just Him. And we should, you need to add this in your talk notes. I didn't put it. But you also dishonor your brother. You also dishonor your brother. Look at verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which 
you were called. So, so James' accusation in the middle of this text is against the church. He says, he says, why do you want to be so loved by the world and accepted by them when they do nothing but bring dishonor to the name of the one you've been called? Why, why are you so desperate in seeking that kind of popularity? And those kind of things are easy to see when you're parenting, right? Did you see it played out in your kids' lives? You're like, why do you... They're thugs. Why do you want to hang out with them? They are not our kids. I mean, our kids are perfect and great and all A's except for, I don't know. You're okay. Um, you guys are on probation. I don't know. I spilled that you yet. Um, but it's easy to see that when it's played out in other people's lives. But James is saying, hey, why? Why? Aren't, aren't these people the ones that are dragging you? Uh, aren't they the ones who, who are oppressing you? And, and it's crazy when you, when you put up with it this way, but this still doesn't keep us from understanding that we could be walking in some very abusive, unhealthy relationships. And now, and here's, here's the danger here. I, I don't want you to misunderstand what he's saying, because um, I can imagine you sitting here saying, oh man, I just bought a brand new car. I hope they don't find out about it. Right? Or you're like, Man, I know this shirt looks new, but my mom bought it for me. Uh, and then you have to go around apologizing for wearing new clothes. That's, that's not what James is saying here. Um, what it, he's not saying take your favoritism off of the rich and put it onto the poor. Okay, He's not saying that. And, and instead of despising the poor, he's not saying despise the rich, uh, because Jesus will teach the opposite of that as you walk through the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, uh, he'll talk about um, things that you do with your enemies, that, that instead of hating your enemies, you would love them, you would pray for them, you would try to do good to them. Uh, and so he's not saying take off your uh, favoritism for one group and give it to the other. That's not what he's saying. He's coming in, he's saying don't play favorites. Don't do it. Don't assign value based on those things, regardless of their appearance or their status or their education. Don't do it. Because every person that God puts in your path is a person that God has put in your path. He has chosen that relationship to play itself out. And so he says, he says show no partiality. Uh, he says, don't do it because it dishonors God, dishonors the brother. Uh, and then he gives us a better way. He talks about the better way. He says this in verse 8. Uh, if you really fulfill the royal law, Okay? And the royal law is the heart and the essence of what King Jesus has told you to do. Uh, somebody walked in and said, hey, what's the biggest of the commandments? Right? And he's talking in the midst of a people who have added not just the Ten Commandments and not just the law of God, but they came upon rule after rule after rule to keep them from breaking the laws. And Jesus says, the first and greatest commandment is simply this. You will love the Lord your God. Again, I've told you this, right? You remember it. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says, and the second is as equally important, you would love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law, right? It, we've, we've, the world has tried to steal it as the golden rule, right? You would treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And so he says, if you really want to fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. And that's, a great, that's a great reflection question, right? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Because again, we love us some us. We make sure that we're good. We might have our own qualms. We might be disappointed at ourselves sometimes. But 
are we, we at the end of the day will make sure we've eaten. We will make sure that we are uh, clothed. We will make sure we have some sort of shelter. And Jesus says, you would love your neighbor as yourself. And so you look at the mirror and you say, am I loving my neighbor as myself? Not to a degree of myself, but as myself. Am I as urgent about taking care of the needs of others as I am taking care of my own needs? And so the better way is simply this, that we would put into practice the ways God tells us to live. And you're like, well, Bag, are, are we one of those churches that um, think it's a good idea to do what God tells us to do? Yes. Yes, that's, that's kind of the plan. And you say, well, what about those hard places? Yes, that's still the plan. Right? And as you grow stronger, those hard places aren't as hard to be in anymore. Because the weight of those hard places lightens because you're stronger underneath. And so if you want to please the heart of God, do the word. Do the word. That, that if you really want to fulfill the royal law, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God, uh, that, that you would put into practice the word of God. We, we talked about this last week. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would actually be Doers, and, and this should be familiar because this is how we walk in step with the Lord. And this is what James does. And again, it's really unfair because if you weren't expecting it, he just pulled it. He just pulled a trick on you. He walked into your life and he says, "Are you placing value on other people based on how they look?" And you're like, "Whoa, that was a sneak attack. I need a little bit of a warning next time." He says, "Don't do it." Are you willing to visit the widow and the orphan in their affliction? You say, whoa, 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 hold on. thought we'd get a better warm-up. thought you'd make it a little easier. What's level? I'm level one Christian. Those are like level 50 Christians. And he says, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. And so he says, line yourself up with how God designed things to work. And this is, again... Religion will, our response to religion will be that God is trying to remove something from us or He's trying to keep us from enjoyment and pleasure and joy. And that's the exact opposite of what's at play here. That, that God is actually inviting us into a life fully lived with purpose. He's inviting us into something here and then James is going to crash into how we justify our sins. Now, I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to start reading this. If you want to exit so you don't hear it, um, you're welcome to do so. Uh, but, but what he's going to do, he's going to say, hey, as you justify your sin, this is what's at play. He says, verse 9, but if you show partiality, you're committing a sin. That's hard. And you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Does the logic sound? Is it, is it sound there for you? Does it make sense? And so in the middle of all of this, the justification is this. We hear about partiality and we hear about favoritism and, and the unregenerated heart says, okay, maybe I do play favorites, but at least I don't kill somebody. At least I'm, I'm not committing adultery. I haven't broken, you know, the big laws. And James's point is, 
So what if you don't murder and commit adultery? If you're showing partiality, you've broken the, you've broken the law. You've broken covenant with God. And so, so you, you discriminate, right? You, you're a racist, either accidentally or not. You've broken the law. You've avoided the poor. You've broken the royal law of love. You've, the result of that is that you've sinned against God. And this is where God is chiseling away what might be the deceit around our beliefs. So we get to verse 12. It says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So we're not just hearing the law of liberty, this command of Jesus, we're doing it. We're not just hearers, we're doers. Where we hear and don't do, that's the red light. Where we hear and we don't do, that's the red light. That's, That's the problem. That's where you need to stop and that's something you need to look into. And now if you're, a, if you're a baby Christian and you're stumbling, I'm not trying, again, I'm not trying to put a hundred pound dumbbell on you and say, hey, you need to lift that today. But if you got some sort of conviction, some sort of feeling that, that you're falling short and you're pushing into Jesus because of that, that's objective evidence that you are a Christian. <laughs> that my life longs to please God. Now we go back to a couple weeks ago where we say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But if you're here today and, and you don't care really about what I'm saying, okay, and, and you, you hear the text and you really have no intention of applying any of this in your life, I'm, I'm trying to love you by pleading you to explore your heart and see if, if you've defined yourself correctly because I believe there's a good chance you're walking in deception. If you get to verses like this and you say, eh, not a big deal. That is a big deal. It's a great big deal. In fact, James says to the church that we need to be quick to hear and do what the Lord has told us to do because there's a coming day when the Lord of glory, when Jesus, who's been mentioned, will judge us based on whether or not we've obeyed Him. That's how we prove that we've trusted in Him. That we would live according to the way He's called us to live. And, and so, so He won't judge us based on our outward appearances, which is good news for a guy like me. But, but He will judge us based on the sincerity of our, of our faith and our obedience. That God is a good Father who has brought us forth by His Word and He expects, in fact, He demands that we obey Him. That's what a good father does. Because he sees better than his kids do. He's more capable than his kids are. And so when he demands obedience, it's not out of a desire to beat his kids up. It's, a, it's out of a desire to protect them, to give them the life that they, they don't even know is possible. So we, we can start wrapping this up, Sean. Verse 13, I told you we're going to get through 13. It says this, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. That's a hard verse. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And you go to the Beatitudes and you hear Jesus saying kind of the flip side of this. Uh, he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And James comes in and he's like, hey, uh, maybe I don't care as much about your feelings as you believe Jesus did. right?" And he says, listen, you don't show mercy, you don't receive it. 
right? There's places that Jesus will talk about forgiveness. He'll say, if you don't show forgiveness, you won't receive forgiveness. Because you not showing forgiveness means you don't understand what God has done for you in Christ. And so he takes that, he takes forgiveness, and he applies it to mercy here. And he says, if you don't show mercy, it's just a a signal that you don't understand what mercy is when it comes between you and God. So he says, you show mercy. And then he gets to my favorite part of this whole spot. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Triumphs. Because here's, here's what judgment will do. It'll compete. It'll fight. It'll try to belittle. When the enemy comes in to your own ear, and he whispers, it's judgment. You're not good enough. You're not capable enough. You're not strong enough. And it's judgment. And every single time the blood of Jesus triumphs over judgment. Paul will tell us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. If your heart is in Christ, there is no judgment. Because the mercy of God reigns, reigns supreme. And so what James is telling us to do is to come in and say, when you see people, do you see them through mercy? And I'll be careful. Because there are people you're in conflict with that you're not seeing them through mercy. You're seeing them through hurt and pain and justification. And do you realize that mercy is always available to you? It's always a weapon in your holster. And so where this comes to play, there's you and then there's us, right? When this comes to you, are you avoiding certain people? Are you placing higher or lower value on certain people? And when you do that, this is what James is telling us, you are forgetting the way that God looks at you. You're forgetting it. And then for us, look around. We all look the same. And that's not good. It's not good. Because it tells us that we're not visiting the widows and the orphans in their affliction. It's saying that, that we have found a place of like-minded people and if this is all we spend our time with, this dies out. Because what God says is, I will remove your influence. I will take your lampstand and I will put it away. So how do we value people? And we do it because we base it on the way God values us in Christ. Do we walk in the light of our salvation, do we reflect the glory of God regardless of who the people are or not? 
Because the people that God puts in your path, He has chosen to put in your path. He has. The difficult ones and the easy ones. God put them tomorrow. Tomorrow, I guarantee you, somebody's going to annoy you. And what I hope you hear is my nagging voice in the back of your mind. God put this person in your way for a purpose. Or else then why, why are we following Jesus? Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make a couple things. First of all, thank you for your patience today. Uh, we're working through some systems things. I think the gym might be a little too loud. So if you can just tell all of your kids who are school age, they're grounded. Um, we, we'd appreciate it. How long? Say, we don't know. We'll just figure out how long you're grounded later. And so, but if you need prayer today, we, we, we want to pray with you. Um, as we, we dismiss the Hansons, they're going to be kind of in this back corner. We want to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you do have things you need to repent about. Maybe there are some things you need to, to kind of get right before God. You just need somebody to come alongside and pray with you through it. We, we want to pray. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe, maybe you did, but you've been in slumber. And today would be a great day to wake up. Today would be a great day to come back to life. And we want to walk you through that process, and we want to battle alongside you. We want to, we want to serve in community with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.